Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio coming to you on Saga 960 AM and the Big Talker Network. Uh, I am joined by my colleague Elizabeth Hicks as Yael is gallivanting uh, around Washington, D.C. as uh, or Mordor, uh, as we like to refer it. Um, but we are also joined um, by the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. He may have the best name in Canadian politics, Franco Terrazano. Thank you very much for joining Liz and I on Consumer Choice Radio. Hey, it's my pleasure. I might not be in Mordor in the U.S., but I'm here in Mordor of the North. It's about the same, uh, just a little <laughs> bit more chilly. Yeah, winter winter is coming. Yeah. <laughs> winter is coming. <laughs> not uh, as swampy as our Mordor, but yeah, much colder. <laughs> Oh, boy. Um, so, Franco, you guys uh, have issued a release talking about um, tax hikes uh, in with Canada in comparison to other countries. What's going on here? Well, nothing that we should be bragging about, that's for sure. You know, I can't believe I have to say this out loud with my mouth, but I'm going to anyways. It should have been a no-brainer. For the government, at the very least, not to raise taxes during the middle of a pandemic when workers were losing their job, taking pay cuts, businesses shutting down. Some businesses may have lost their business for good. So the worst possible time for the federal government to be raising taxes. And what does our federal government do here in Mordor of the North? Well, it raises the carbon tax three times during the pandemic. It raises payroll taxes for the fourth year in a row. Uh, and if all that causes you to drink, well, every time you go to the liquor store and grab your favorite case of Keith's, or if you go get a bottle of Pinot to enjoy with your better half, well, there the federal government is taking more money from you as well. And, you know, while the government of Canada raised taxes, we found out that 51 other national governments around the world did the right thing and provided their citizens with relief. And look, a lot of our peers are cutting taxes. We found that more than half of the G7 and G20 countries are cutting taxes, and two-thirds of the OECD countries are doing the right thing and leaving their citizens with more money in their pockets as well. Uh, so, uh, I mean, what type of taxes are different governments cutting? Uh, like, I guess, draw a map for, for listeners here. I mean, because the list of taxes is endless. Um, yeah. There's a tax for everything. <laughs> um, what, what, what are some governments cutting um, and what would you suggest uh, our governments start to cut? Yeah, I mean, uh, all of them, essentially, right? We found 25 countries <laughs> that are cutting gas taxes. Uh, we found 15 countries that are cut cutting energy taxes. We had 18 countries cut consumption taxes, eight cutting income taxes, and 11 cutting business taxes. I mean, I answered with all of them. I I'm, I'm really not kidding. I mean, where you start? Well, okay, I think the most obvious place to start is with gas taxes. You know, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau could hold a press conference this morning, uh, tell Canadians that he's cutting gas taxes, and immediately save drivers between 18 and 30 cents a litre, depending on which province you're fueling up in, um, because provincial taxes come into play there as well. But look, the, the, the Trudeau could save a family about 20 bucks every time they fuel up their minivan. Now, for the families who are struggling to afford baby formula or for the families who are struggling to actually put fuel in their car on the way to work or not sure whether or not they can afford taco night this week, 
20 bucks every time you fuel up your Dodge Caravan uh, goes a long way. Now, gas taxes is the obvious place to start. Scrap the carbon tax, cut or suspend other gas taxes. The second place should be consumption taxes like sales taxes. We just saw the government announce GST rebate increases. Okay, that's nice for a third of Canadians who will get some extra money back. Well, but why not just cut taxes across the board, right? Much more efficient, much more fair for all Canadians. But number three, and this one really helps small businesses who have taken it on the chin over the last two years, cut payroll taxes. And I'll, uh, I'll put this to Liz. Do you have any, uh, do you have, what, what's your take here as, as the American on set right now? Um, what, what's your take? Like, is, is, is Uncle Joe cutting taxes or <laughs> no. are we seeing any of this uh, south of the border? No, I mean, it's interesting. I, I'd love to hear Franco's take on, you know, what he thinks the U.S. is doing, because I think U.S. and Canada are pretty similar right now, where we're not having a lot of tax relief. Um, we see some in the U.S., mostly through the pandemic. We saw with, um, you know, like the child tax credit is a huge one that's been talked about recently that's continuing to increase. Energy tax credits are huge here, especially with like AVs now becoming um, more prominent in the marketplace, also with solar panels, things of that nature. Um, also, I think, I don't know if this is unique to the U.S., it sounds like it is for the most part, but philanthropic tax credits is a huge thing here for um, folks who donate to nonprofit organizations, um, and then also education tax benefits. But we talked about a gas tax holiday, Biden did, it didn't happen. Um, you know, it was taxes are definitely guaranteed here. Death and taxes are guaranteed in the U.S., that's for sure. And unfortunately for us, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen in the news, I think it's about $80 billion going to increase the IRS so they can continue to enforce the tax code and continue to collect more and more funds from the U.S. Uh, citizens who are working hard and losing their money to our government. So, um, I don't see a lot of relief happening here. It seems like a lot of surface level relief that's not really affecting um, mm -hmm. or helping the everyday American who are, is feeling the effects of this it's an insane economy and this insane inflation. So uh, let, me just, let me just jump off on that one because like, you know, you say death and taxes are, are, are the two things in life guaranteed in the US. In Canada, there's three, death taxes and higher paychecks for politicians because, you know, even a pandemic, uh, that sent, what, thousands to the ranks of the unemployed couldn't stop our politicians in Ottawa from giving themselves not one, not two, but three pay raises during the pandemic. Now, you know, I am no expert when it comes to uh, U.S. policy. I don't pretend to be. Uh, I'm just trying to keep up with how crazy these uh, spenders are here in Ottawa. So I don't have time to look much south of the border. But, you know, you mentioned it. So at least President Biden is at least talking or musing about a tax holiday. The only thing that we get from our government is uh, more tax hikes. Now, we've I talked about the carbon tax going up three times during the pandemic. Uh, they're actually bringing in a second carbon tax through fuel regulations. Um, and get this. This is who that second carbon tax is going to hurt the most. And this is according to the government's own research. It's not my not my words. It's the government's own report. The second carbon tax is going to hurt low and income household Canadians. It's going to hurt the Canadians who are already on energy poverty, single mothers, and the seniors who are living on fixed income. And that's again from the government's uh, own report. So while Canada is obviously not doing great, it sounds like the US isn't doing great. We do see some other countries though that are peers of ours who are doing well. I mean, Australia cut gas taxes in half. South Korea 
cut gas taxes by 30%. The United Kingdom announced uh, billions of dollars in gas tax relief. And now we hear the new prime minister in the UK talking about uh, cutting potentially business taxes to attract investment as well. So other countries are, are doing uh, the right thing. Well, our, uh, your president and, and well, certainly my prime minister, who is the only person I can speak to, is raising tax bills uh, on Canadians. Yeah, certainly fired up. Sounds like we are uh, on the verge of a not my prime minister hashtag here uh, on Consumer Choice Radio. Um, so you, you've mentioned some 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 countries who've done it well. But one thing that you said that really stuck out to me, which I think people forget about, is the fixed income side of things. Because uh, not only are people on fixed income being squeezed by tax mm-hmm. increases, they're being squeezed by inflation. Yes. Um, based on the work you do, how hard are Canadians being hit by the combination of the two? Uh, it's it's uh, it's really hard to say because, and I, and I don't mean hard to say as in hard to quantify. It's hard to say in the sense that people are struggling really bad, and it's really hard to to put into words because you kind of get choked up a little bit, right? Um, you have Canadians, uh, families who work their whole life. Um, did everything they were supposed to do, you know, went to school, got a good job, had the family, were strong members of the community. And now they're, they might be losing their shirts. And, and, and in a large part, it's, it, it is government policy where you have regulations that drive up the cost of living. You have taxes that drive up the cost of living. You have inflation that drives up the cost of living. And look, if you're a single income, uh, a single income uh, family, well, you you might be working one, two. I've heard of people working three jobs to help just keep food on the table. Look, think of it this way. Let's say you're a 24, 25-year-old young family, and you're already worried about the cost of diapers, the cost of baby formula, right? If your paycheck is already being stretched thin, imagine what happens when inflation reaches nearly a four decades high. And that brings us to another point because there's another tax that we need to talk about and it's the inflation tax. And there's certainly no rebates for the inflation tax. And you know, our central bank here in Canada printed more than $300 billion out of thin air, buying financial assets, largely government of Canada bonds. And of course, look, I mean, it's this is simple economics. The more dollars that a central bank prints, the less that your dollars buy. And, you know, our central bank is running around trying to play the semantics game, trying to sell Canadians on the fact that it's not um, uh, creating money out of thin air, but it is because its assets increased by about $300 billion during the pandemic. Now, how did it get the money to purchase all those assets? Did it have a bake sale? No, that money is created by a click of a keypad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, you you mentioned uh, the Bank of Canada. We certainly see, Liz, we see this with the Fed uh, increasing another 75 basis points um, this week. Um, Liz, you have, uh, you you are a homeowner, something that yeah. is completely foreign to Canadi- Canadians of our generation. <laughs> I'm sorry uh, about that. How, like, how tough is <laughs> How tough is um, how tough are rate hikes impacting young homeowners? Because I can only imagine that, I mean, to deal with inflation, they have to increase rates and then people are getting soaked if they have variable rate mortgages. Absolutely. It's actually interesting you bring this up because I just texted my husband earlier this morning that we did a great job locking in our our mortgage rate 
earlier in January, we bought our house in January of this year. So just before everything kind of hit the fan, very lucky and very grateful that we did that. I think we locked ours in at like mm, 3.25%. Today, it is for a 30-year fixed mortgage here in the U.S., almost 7% interest rates. That is crushing. So at this point, it really is not possible for a lot of folks to be able to purchase homes based off of the prices, let alone, I mean, let's not even get into housing policy with inventory and everything of that nature. But just on price alone, it's, it's you know, crushing a lot of folks here. So um, it's something that we need to fix for sure. And Franco, I assume same can be said here in Canada. The squeeze has got to be pretty real. Canadians historically overstretch themselves to buy housing. If they're on variable rate mortgages, they must be uh, must be feeling the squeeze. Is that what you're seeing out there? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, but also, too, we have to remember that the Bank of Canada, again, has a, has a, a role to play in here because and, and let's just set aside the whole money, money printing. Let's go even more granular than that. Uh, because our governor of the Bank of Canada, Tiff Macklem, he told Canadians that interest rates were going to stay low for quite some time, right? He signaled to Canadians, July, that, July, hey, yeah. don't worry, don't worry, interest rates are going to remain low. Now, so how many Canadians then bought a home, got a, 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 a not a fixed rate, just assuming that interest rates would stay low for quite some time? Now, I've already to- I spoke with two, two people, one family member, one personal friend. Um, who are who are so worried about interest rates going up because Tiff Macklem, remember back in November of 2020 to the Finance Committee, told the committee two things. Inflation would stay low and interest rates would stay at the effective lower bound, which is about 2.5%, mm-hmm. I believe, into, in, until 2023 is what he said. Okay, so he signaled to Canadians that interest rates are going to remain low. Obviously, we're seeing massive rate hikes right now, and people who are on uh, not a fixed rate are paying the price. Now, let me tell you something for our American friends down there. Now, we have the Bank of Canada has one job, keep inflation low and around 2%. If you've left your home any time in the last year to try to fill up your car with gasoline or go to the grocery store, you know that the Bank of Canada failed to do its only job, okay? So what does the Bank of Canada do? Well, it turns around and gives its central bankers $45 million in bonuses and pay raises, Uh, but it gets worse because the deputy bank governor said that, admitted that the Bank of Canada didn't do its job, admitted that the Bank of Canada needs to be held accountable. Well, isn't that just a funny little way to hold your organization accountable uh, for its failures to turn around and give those central bankers 45 million smackers in bonuses and pay raises during the pandemic? Brutal. Well, Franco, it has, it's, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you for joining us on Consumer Choice Radio. Thanks for having me on. And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio. Liz and I were just joined by Franco Terrazano. Very lively fella. Yes, we, I would love to inject his energy into both of our veins. Yes, yeah, that, that, that would be, uh, I feel like it would be a red, like a Red Bull. Give me wings. Yeah, great guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot to talk about in terms of taxes and inflation. It kind of feels like Canada and the U.S. mirror each other in that way where they haven't really gotten uh, with the program in terms of trying to make life more affordable. Um, 
Biden was on 60 minutes, I saw, or something about that in regards to inflation. Yeah. I, I, I haven't, I've seen some clips of it. I assumed you watched it. Um, what happened? Clips. What happened? How did he sound? <laughs> not great it's uh i highly recommend everyone watches it it is iconic for the wrong reasons um it's classic biden unfortunately where you know he's making very not great talking points about how he's you know saving the economy and helping the everyday american when reality is slapping us in the face and we don't live in the same fantasy world that he apparently lives in so he's talking a lot about inflation i have to give the interviewer credit because he does double down quite a bit um as biden you know says that inflation really isn't that bad it hasn't spiked in, in reality, it's the highest it's been in 40 years. I believe it's at 8.3%, might even be higher than that now. Um, and this is something that, again, affects everyday Americans. We're not seeing a lot of relief for it. We're seeing a lot of pandering or talking points about it. And I, from my perspective, it's a lot with the elections coming up, but mm -hmm. um, we're not seeing a lot of action, a lot of follow through on this, unfortunately. Well, one of your favorite policies was was just enacted, um, which could have a, a a it could worsen the a problem of inflation, and that is the plan for student loan relief. Your favorite. Oh, I despise student loan relief. And here's why, everybody. It does absolutely nothing to address the root of the problem where how we got into the situation in the first place. I mean, I can appreciate people feeling the effects of having to pay back their student loans. I get it. The economy sucks right now. Money's tight for a lot of people. But the reality is these are contractual loans that you that these folks agreed to pay back. And that's the reality that we're in, that they need to pay them back. And I appreciate that that can be difficult right now. However, by just forgiving all of these loans or even a good chunk of them doesn't make any economic sense. It's not gonna boost the economy. It really only helps educated, well-off people. So those that are suffering the most from the effects of inflation, those who are lower income, now they're expected to pick up the tab to pay for you know, people who have college degrees, that seems very unjust, very unequitable. And yeah. I'm shocked that the left is pushing for this so hard. Yeah, you have like the working class person who didn't go to college, whose tax money is now paying for someone to get a master's degree and something that didn't end up having that much relevance in the job market or yeah. pursuing a PhD and having $100,000 in debt. And it's like, well, I mean, the system sucks. Everyone agrees that it's it's brutal and convoluted, and like the guaranteed of the guarantee federally of loans ensures that totally. tuition goes up, and then the loan value goes up. You can't default on the loan, which right. is kind of fishy. Um, Agreed. I mean, that seems like one relatively simple fix is just to restructure them so they actually evaluate risk. Um, yeah, so that I agree. you. You can't get a a hundred thousand dollar loan to get your master's degree in basket weaving. <laughs> the, the the loan officer just says, "Ah, oh, sorry, the risk table says that you're never going to pay this back, and you can default yeah. on it now, so we can't give you the money." Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just a tough one. I mean, and obviously, it it um, it it fuels demand. 
and and that could put additional upward pro, uh, pressure on prices, which right. I mean, it, that's exactly what's going to happen. I mean, the more that we the, the U.S. government forgives student loans with, the more the higher the tuition prices are going to go. I mean, it's it's how it, we got here in the first place. The more that the government subsidizes higher education, the more the these in, higher educational institutions like colleges and universities are going to charge their students to be able to attend. It, yep. It's no, like I mean, very... we saw that. The thing is, people who deny that that will happen. I mean, we saw it in real time with electric vehicles, with the the new federal rebate, whatever the rebate was. Let's say it's five grand. Mysteriously, overnight. The price of brand new electric vehicles went up by almost the same amount as the rebate. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so you you see this all the time. Yeah, um, we see it in healthcare. We see it with military. We see it everywhere. The more that the yeah. government subsidizes things, the higher the prices will go. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. We need to get uh, government out of it, and then we'll be in a much better spot. So that's. Oh, 100%. 100%. Uh, I mean, I always saw there was I not that it's the same system, but I had an experience in university where I started coaching goalies um, on the weekend. And and once you get to like a certain stage in that, it can actually you can make a lot of money. Um, and so I had OSAP, which is the Ontario version of a student loan, and they actually scaled back my loan because of the income that I had. So I was punished oh. for working, which oh. in any which in any traditional loan scenario would be the opposite, right? Yeah. If you can demonstrate that you're earning more income, um, well, then the terms of the loan are usually more generous because they can you've established an ability to repay. Um, but it was the exact opposite, and then I got to the point where it was like, well, do I keep working hard and doing this? and earning this paycheck or do I just not and take the free money and go buy some beers and and have myself a weekend I uh, wonder what you chose <laughs> I yeah the jury is still out it's a mystery it's a mystery anybody who knew me in university knows the answer to that question but uh, it is a mystery as to what was um, what was done uh, so student loans, yeah, those the, the student loan forgiveness stuff. That's that's tough. Um, what else is what else is grinding your gears these days? I mean, here's here's one for you. We uh, we talked about uh, King Charles the uh, Third yeah. on the last program. Uh, I am a subject of the king, technically, <laughs> living yep. in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, he is our head of state. Uh, you are not. You are in no, the me. the free state of of Michigan, uh, free from right. the the tyrannical reach of the king and or queen. Um, we revolted a long time ago for that freedom. <laughs> <laughs> what was what was the impression in the U.S. on on the death of the queen, all of the proceedings, the seriousness of it? Um, is it something that's kind of like understood and respected almost like when a president passes or was it kind of seen as foreign and silly? I would say a little bit of both. I mean, <laughs> for any head of state, I think there's always a bit of, you know, you know, wishing them well, there's a sign of respect, you know, wanting to make sure that 
you know, she was the head of state for over 70 years. That's the, that's a long time. It's the longest of anyone I'm pretty sure ever. So I think, you know, she deserves some respect, but at the same time, the monarchy is something that we do not understand here in the United States. <laughs> Again, we broke free from the monarchy many, many years ago. And um, I think for good reason. So the whole idea around the monarchy it doesn't make sense to me personally. It's cool, I guess, but I don't understand like what power they have. We're obviously much more team Meghan Markle over here. So, Ooh. you know, we have, <laughs> we I, have I'm a... actually not team Meghan Markle. I'm not. Really? I, 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 yeah. I, I'm, I kind of find her, her vibe. I, I think she's got bad vibes. Uh, bad and I vibes. say that because, oh. yeah, because she, like she champions issues that kind of contradict marrying a prince. So if you want to talk about like privilege and equity and, and social justice, it's very hard to do so with this title of Duchess of Sussex and all of this, like the hoopla around marrying someone who allegedly has royal blood. Like the whole concept is like, if there was ever, if there was ever uh, a group of people more privileged in the world than the royal family, I haven't found them. I mean, that's about the top of the privilege <laughs> food chain. So that's what always grinds in my gears is because I'm like, well, I mean, you kind of married into this circus. Um, I agree. Wait, I think the reason that it. I like her is she kind of, I don't want to say like blew it up, but she like you know, kind of helped bring some attention to how ridiculous it is, in my opinion. Oh, so I yeah. think that's kind of why, you know, she, at least for me, I, I like Meghan Markle. She's not my favorite, but, you know, as an American, okay. <laughs> we definitely appreciate yes. her. Yeah. So. And now we have Harry. Yeah, you are not a subject so. of the queen. Exactly. You do, you have- do. Although, so I, like, I don't really know. What does he do? Like, what do they do? They're doing a lot of philanthropic work. How do they make their money? Speaking engagements is what it seems like. I think they wrote a book, speaking engagements. You know, they're doing like the, the hustle here in the U.S. They're making it happen. But, you know, one thing that really confuses me about the monarchy is, so the whole like line of succession now is interesting. Also, we can't yes. say God save the queen. Now it's God save the king. But then once... You know, we continue on to the next person. It, I think it's it's William, right? Prince William. And yep. then after that, it, it goes William. his children, which I believe, Correct. I don't know, it's, is it Char? Or? So it will go to his son. His son, and then his uh, father, Littlebet. No, Littlebet is um, uh, Harry's well, daughter. Correct. Yes. Like, so, like it's so confusing. So it's like, and then it, so it's like the adult, it goes like, it goes from William to his kids and then back. So to it goes Harry. from William to George. No, it goes from Charlotte. William to George. And then, but if Charlotte. George grows up and has a child, that person oh. then jumps Charlotte and Louis, who's the youngest. So, like, the chance of Louis ever being king is, like, zero. Zero. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, some crazy things have to happen. That's um, so bizarre. So, it's... I just, yeah. 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 It's interesting uh, it's, to it's, me how it all works. I mean, works. it's a weird system. Yeah. Do they have power? Is it more just, like, a formality? Do they have any... 
direct influence over like policy or politics within the country? It seems like no, it seems much more like a kind of pomp and circumstance. It's very hands off. The answer is not really. Um, I think the saying is they reign, not rule. Um, And I believe, I believe what one of the previous King Charles's was beheaded by the citizens of the country because he attempted, yeah, I forget what the reason was, but there's a history of, of some kings uh, and queens overstepping and wanting like absolute rule, kind of like in the old mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they don't really do much in that sense. Um, it's very complicated, but I will say it kind of mirrors the, it mirrors the pomp and circumstance that you Americans have about the president, yeah. right? The state of the union, the, the inauguration. Um, if you ever have met anyone who's flown on air force one, mm-hmm. Um, mm. like the, all of the hoopla and stuff like this. So it's not that the U S or republics are without their own right. weirdness. Um, but yeah, it is, it's a strange concept. So it's, it's a very strange concept. Yeah. Yeah. U S response to it was, you know, to her passing was definitely a mixed bag, but, um, I know that the, I believe it was yesterday at the Capitol in DC, they had a little ceremony, uh, with, uh, our politicians and Congress people and whatnot, um, and then throughout the rest of the country, it's been mostly online people paying their respects or or not. But I'm curious for you, being <laughs> you know part of the Commonwealth, <laughs> what was the what was the reaction like in Canada? Well, it was declared like a day of mourning. It wasn't a day off. When the previous, when Elizabeth's father passed away, it was a full public holiday. Uh, but then again, that was in like the early 50s just after world war ii which is weird because like this is in terms of like our generation modern era the transition from king to king or king to queen has been limited because elizabeth served so long let's we'll talk a little bit more about that when we uh come after uh come back after the break And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, Liz, you and I were just talking um, about what the Canadian response was to the Queen, Queen's passing. So there was a huge Canadian contingent um, in London. Um, Mounties, the Royal uh, Canadian Mounted Police, um, were actually leading the procession um through the streets of london with the coffin so it was i mean we were very involved in that sense um something like every prime minister since 1993 was that it was invited to the funeral um we had our own uh ceremony in ottawa which was also attended by other um politicians and things like that so i, I would say it was taken fairly seriously here not as serious as it was uh, in the early 50s when uh, George, I believe it was, passed. But um, yeah, it's a, it was, I did get up, admittedly, I did get up very early with my wife to watch um, and observe the, uh, the funeral. Um, and so, yeah, there were lots of, lots of Canadian contingent, contingent there. Um, which is going to lead me to my next segue. I've been rewatching The Crown. Great show. 
uh, about the royal family. Um, but you and I have something in common. We are both lovers of bad TV. Um, and so I'm curious as to what is, what is on Elizabeth's PVR these days in terms of junk TV? What's, what's really, uh, what's popping on the, on the, uh, the TV at the Hicks household? You know, a couple things for the trash TV. It's always Real Housewives. And currently it's Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yeah. Real Housewives of Dubai just wrapped up. First season, highly recommend. Very fascinating. Um, but currently Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, um, which is really, I love it because they have so many interesting people on there. Like Lisa Rinna, Kathy Hilton. Like there are names that like we know outside of just trash television. So I, I find it really fascinating. Yes. But we're also watching um, the new uh, Game of Thrones series, House of Dragon, which is really good. So really good. Yes. So good. And then also needed, like, Power. So what do you think about that? Because it's getting some bad reviews. So I am a huge Lord of the Rings nerd. I actually, I own all of the extended versions of all of the movies. <laughs> it's like a severe nerdum when it comes to Lord of the Rings for me. I, so I like the, I've really enjoyed it so far. The, um, the series Rings of Power, it's early still. I think it's one of those series that's going to be kind of like Game of Thrones-esque where it goes on for many seasons and there's, you know, it's going to build off of itself pretty substantially. So mm -hmm. I'm excited to see where they go. I mean, there's so much for them to do with it. Um, and interestingly, it all really does connect back to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the Hobbit series, mm -hmm. everything else. Yeah. So they've done a great job making it, you know, really uh, coherent, in my opinion. Yeah, that's actually, it's funny you say that about um, Lord of the Rings. That's what I would say about House of, House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones is it makes you realize that like in the Game of Thrones universe, the amount of content that they could create is unlimited, right? Yeah, every every totally. dynasty, every city. And I actually remember watching that originally and being like, uh, like they'd introduce a new place. They'd be like, oh, Bravos or Karth or different places. And I'd be like, this, this place alone could have its own spinoff. How did it become yeah. what it was? And that's kind of what House of, House of, um, House of Dragon is doing. In terms of yeah. the Targaryens, I, I really like it. Um, it pushes the envelope in terms of like your comfort level. One of the first moments in my adult lifehood, in my, in my adult life, uh, where and this is in the first episode, and I'm pretty sure you'll know the scene I'm talking about, where I was like visibly uncomfortable at what was going on on the screen. It, it made me very uncomfortable, which is I just to say it's good television. Like they really push the boundaries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a good one. Uh, one of the ones I watched recently, which was pretty good, um, which I didn't really know about, but happened within our lifetime, is called Five Days at Memorial. It's all about oh. a hospital during Hurricane Katrina. Oh. Um, shit hits the fan. People start dying. They have to make a call uh, in the evacuation whether to leave people there to die or to euthanize them. Oh, my goodness. And it, it gets really dark, but it's um, – it's a very good show. Uh, I mean, I was, I guess, 14 at the time. So mm -hmm. that type of news coverage wasn't really front of mind. 
Right. Uh, so it is eye-opening just in terms of all the failures along the way of how they got there and why the yeah. situation was so bad. Yeah, that's interesting. I recently watched a documentary on Hurricane Katrina, but it was about, um, it's called Closed for Storm. And it's about a Six Flags in New Orleans or just outside of New Orleans that they basically built and then never opened or I think they well, opened it maybe just briefly. And then like, as soon as it was finished, Katrina came and they never reopened it. it. They, yeah, they like everything got, was underwater. Everything got kind of destroyed. I mean, obviously it, you know, eventually the water went down, yeah. um, but it's still there to this day. It's like this creepy abandoned, huge amusement park that was brand new that people didn't get to use. And then they just left it. Six Flags just left it there apparently. So it's still there. Take and they're the insurance trying to money. What to do. Yeah, they're trying to determine what to do with the land. And I feel bad actually, because what's interesting is the homeowners around that area, they thought that would be a huge advantage to their property value, which it would have been if that theme park was successful but now it's still there and so actually it has tanked their property value so now it's just abandoned land that sucks yeah it's really interesting it's yeah again just another kind of failure from from government and and not cleaning up the mess from from katrina and still seeing those after effects yeah. you know, well, 20 that's, years a, later. that's a crazy thing is seeing the um seeing like all of the mistakes that are made and like nobody knows who's in charge nobody knows yeah. who's giving what orders and it's just like oh boy you can see why i mean despite the fact that new orleans is literally underwater below sea level uh, which doesn't help uh, you can see very clearly in this tv show where everything starts to fall apart and and why it got so bad and why it got so bad so quickly um i'm trying to think what else has been on the go for all mankind not heard of that okay highly recommend we're gonna have to do a deep dive here so <laughs> let's do it premise premise of the show space race 1960s the Ooh. russians get to the moon first the space race never ends oh so the idea is that it's it's an alternative history the idea is that the space race never ends because the Americans weren't first. And so they kept pushing. So it was mm -hmm. like, how do we establish stuff on the moon? How do we get to Mars? So like uh, an attempted mission to Mars is like 95, 96. And it's like all the technology, the emergence of private companies in space travel, um, yeah. the nuances of NASA, the Cold War. Um, and then it has these really cool tidbits where because they're because it's alternative history like who was the president changes right so it's like um reagan was a one-term president here's like here's why or like yeah. bill, clinton, bill clinton lost the presidency to this for like all of this other stuff who won wow. the primaries and it kind of charts this very different course um and it's really good um uh, if you like space stuff but non non like alien sci-fi space stuff like real space stuff it's pretty good highly that sounds really interesting i'll have to check yeah. that out i'm convinced yeah. i'm sold yeah it's very good um yeah i'm trying to i mean there's as with everybody else there's just a lot of, there was a lot of time for a long time to watch a lot of tv so it was um, <laughs> yeah all right okay so tv shows I, I had to get that out there because um I, I do know that you share that passion for 
for junk um, yes. like I do. Uh, what else is grinding your gears? What else is on the docket and, and pissing you off? So one thing that's bothering me lately is the United States Postal Service. Oh, this might be kind oh, of neat. Okay. So I'm curious if, uh, if any of our listeners out there share the same gripe, definitely let us know online. But um, so I'm a big online shopper. I don't know if you yeah. are as well. I feel like we all are in this day and age. I love Amazon. I love you know just buying things online from other websites. It's yep. convenient. It's easy. I love it. The thing that really makes me mad is when companies decide to ship their goods through the United States Postal Service. Why? Why do they do this? Why not go through like UPS or FedEx or literally anybody else that is private as opposed to the Postal Service? For example, I ordered a hat like two weeks ago. It's supposed to be here within five business days. It's been two weeks and it still hasn't shipped yet. And it's because they're shipping it through the United States Postal Service they're waiting to pick it up or something everything always gets lost everything always gets delayed it's an absolute mess so it grinds my gears terrible for consumers i don't know has this ever happened to you where do you guys have a similar system in the in canada where you have like a a federal postal service yes we do we have canada post yep is it it awful it's terrible yeah, and uh, I mean, it can be slow, uh, things can get lost, there's a lot less accountability. I don't know if it's yeah. as bad as the USPS, but it isn't great. Um, actually, one of, my, uh, one of my friends from the political world, whom we'll probably have on as a guest, um, used to document all of his Canada Post shenanigans, and some of them were hilarious. Like, oh. he once got a package, like, 280 days later than the expected arrival and it wasn't like a producer problem um it wasn't a producer problem it was uh it was uh, basically just something that like um they was at their warehouse and that was it they just like left it there and nobody did anything and yeah uh so it's pretty it's bad yeah it's interesting because you know it's oftentimes there's no accountability like you said which is terrible and then it's you know you just lose packages all the time all the time you lose a package and there's no there's no way to get it back and it's interesting because apparently in the u.s you actually can buy the lost packages if you go to i think if you just go to the post the post office you can actually purchase lost mail <laughs> which i don't know how that's legal at all so you're just you're, you're just rolling the dice and you're like please be a ps5 please be a ps5 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like sometimes it could be you know something actually nice where yeah it could be something like some electronics or something expensive and then other times you know, it's probably just junk, but you're getting other people's mail that they never received, which is crazy to me that you can do that. And that the post office is allowed to sell other people's mail. That's been unclaimed. It's kind of like the mail. It's, it's the mail version of storage wars. Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever seen storage wars? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like how much do you want for the storage unit? We'll open it once you can have a peek, but you can't touch anything. He's like, Oh, I don't know. 500 bucks and it's like 
old clothes. Right. <laughs> it's worth nothing. Right. It's insane. And then you have that one guy who's like, oh, I'll buy it for a, buy it for a hundred. There's a gold bars in it. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. It's almost as if there's an incentive for the post office to lose our mail because then they just sell it to people, <laughs> which is like, what kind of system great is mail. this? <laughs> It's just our tax dollars. The great right mail conspiracy. Yeah. It's... Yeah. The great mail conspiracy <laughs> brought to you by Elizabeth Hicks. Yeah. Also, like the it. last thing about the post office is the, what is it? The postmaster general, the the head of the post office <laughs> actually has a ton <laughs> of power. They have like their yes. own police force and it's, yeah. it's insane. Like you wouldn't think that the post office is as big and as influential it's... as it is, but it, it it's out there it's it's, it's crazy. a relic it's a relic of a lost time because if you were to rewind 50 years right think about rewinding pre-email the importance of mail right like it was the only way you got anything anywhere right. um, and there probably weren't a lot of private alternatives at the time yeah. and so you, you have this this person who has these old these kind of old world powers for a position that isn't really as relevant anymore it's been a pleasure thank you for for uh chatting with me on consumer troy radio it is always great to have you on the show always great to be here hopefully i'll be here again uh in the future 